Kids, let me tell you a tale, a tale of long ago, in a time where movies were actually better than television, when movie actors were considered a higher, higher on the evolutionary chain than those TV people. It was a time when a television show could gain prestige status when Hollywood turned that show into a glorious movie. And those times are long gone. Movies based on TV shows on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer What? Hello, and welcome to Attack of the Killer Podcast, the movie. Hey. This is episode 307, and we're doing movies based on TV shows. It always seemed like if a TV show got a movie based on it, that it meant the mo uh, that um, must be that the mo- the show must be extremely popular. Yeah. But in most cases, it kind of meant that the show was either on the decline or it was already over or the movie kind of killed the the show. Uh, In the cases of our films that we're going to be talking about, um, the shows were long, long, long over before a movie came, came around. Now, if this is your first time listening to a show, Attack of the Killer Podcast, it's a horror movie podcast. We're a group of friends. We get together and we talk about horror movies. Welcome. We pick a topic, and we discuss films within that topic. Now, we're just friends hanging out, speaking openly and freely, so there may be spoilers. There will be spoilers. It's going to happen. You don't know. You can't see into the future. If you like our show, you will love our Patreon. Now, it's more than just like a simple Patreon. Uh, donating to our show, you become part of the Attack of the Killer podcast family that we lovingly referred to as attackers. As an attacker, you can get access to all kinds of perks and benefits. You can get bonus episodes. You can get early access to the regular episode. You can get our YouTube shows, uh, your own membership card, certificate, and sticker. Uh, You can get original art by me called Mikey's Monsters. You even get invited to our exclusive chat, Attack of the Killer Chat, and our monthly horror hangouts, watch parties, all kinds of cool stuff, including shout-outs on the website and on this very show right here, like these attackers right now. Yeah, like Timothy Lenerer, Roman Doppelfeld, Larry Watanabe, Brett Royer, Seth Key, Jessica Irish, Chris Cook, Brian Godsell, Stephen Sitter, Brandy Moore, Andrew Moeller, Rod Hutchinson, Carmen DeHaye, Abraham Moreno, Andrew Bentler, Casey Kelderman, Tony Miller, Mike Clayton, Rose Tyler Shoma, Abe Kirshner, Lisa Cavalier, Holly Berg, Bill Fisher, Emily Randolph, and Greg Dietrich. What a list! You too can be on that list of the coolest of the coolest by going to jointheattackers.com. Once you're there, you can pick the tier that best suits you to get the content you want. Again, go to jointheattackers.com and become an attacker today. Woohoo! And now it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. One of his favorite shows is the one about the weather. You probably don't remember it. It only lasted four seasons. Tad. Good one. Hey guys, thanks for listening. He was bummed out that the show about the kamikaze attacks didn't last longer. It didn't last longer than the pilot. 
Jason. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We appreciate you being here. And last but not least, before we started recording, Jason actually told him that he was going to start watching Doctor Who. And he said, it's about time. Brian. <laughs> you talk TV, I talk some TV, and now the news. Don't touch that dial. Hello, everybody. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Brian's back. Yeah, Brian's back. I am. Woohoo. Oh, we've missed you, buddy. I've missed you, too. Yay. All right, well, enough of that. Here's Tad with <laughs> What We Watched. <laughs> Well, football's over, so I hope Jason actually watched something. <laughs> Jason, Damn. what did you watch besides uh, the Super Bowl with me? Uh huh, that's right. Um, I watched some things. Uh, I thought it was just going to be series, but I did get some movies in there. Um, don't see any. Just kidding. Uh, the Marvels. I watched that. Pretty excited about that. I loved it. Thought it was great. It's a movie full of Marvel. Yeah, Marvel. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I watch and then, oh yeah, then it's mostly series. As I watched uh, one, I wasn't sure about, but it turned out to be okay. Um, it's got my girlfriend in it, Elizabeth Olsen. Not sure if you've <laughs> met her before, but it's called Love and Death. And it's, you know, it's a little thing. I think it's on Hulu. Um, Candy and Pat Montgomery and Betty and Alan Gore, two church-going couples, enjoy their small-town Texas life until an extramarital affair leads somebody to pick up an axe. Oh, my gosh. It's neat storytelling, and she's awesome. You know who wrote the book, right? Hell, yeah. There was a book? It's based (laughs) Based on a a book. Well, it's based on a true story. Based on oh, a yeah, book called Evidence of Love, written by John Bloom, a.k.a. Joe Bob Briggs? Joe Bob! Yeah. Two versions of his book got adapted, one for Netflix and one for Hulu. Nice. Or Max or whatever you watched it on. There's two versions Hulu. of the same? Yeah. One called Candy with uh, Jessica Biel, and then Love and Death with Elizabeth Olsen. Olsen. Two adaptations, same story. Wow, that's interesting. Hmm. Same. They came out within months of each other. Whoa. Yeah, it was great. And it also stars opposite Jesse Plemons. Uh, if you know him, he's... Fat Damon, or Meth Damon. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's a great actor. Next, we got uh, another series I watched, um, and, and I watched it because Tony Collette's in it. It's called The Staircase. An exploration of the life of Michael Peterson, his sprawling North Carolina family, and the suspicious death of his wife, Kathleen. Mm. So it is based on that. Okay. You're watching You've been on a bit of a true crime, crime kick, haven't yeah. you? Yep. I think this one was on HBO. Oh, yeah. And which is, the next one is too. Um, it was, uh, oh, this, I about fucking turned this motherfucker off. Because <laughs> it was, you know, you're watching a series and you're like, you lose track of where you're at. How many episodes do I got? And you're like, well, shit. Are they done already? You know, they like wrapped up this thing, and I'm like, oh, shit, there's like four more episodes. And I'm like, oh, it keeps going. Because I was happy where it ended, and then it kept going, and I got more and more pissed because, like, 
all the things I didn't want to happen started happening. I was like, ah, you stupid ass show. I mean, but it eventually got back to a place that's like, okay, I'll I'll like you again, even though. Yeah. Anyway, Colin first in it. Um, it's uh, he's it's good. It's good. Sophie Turner. Hey, and then the last one that my favorite one of the series is that I've watched. I think it was also on HBO. Um. It's got my other girlfriend, Kate Winslet. Have you met her? She's cool. Um, it's called Mayor of East Town, and she's a detective in a small Pennsylvania town, investigating a local murder while trying to keep her life from falling apart. And it's a uh, it's fucking it's beautiful town. What's that uh, movie a while back where it's just kids and they accidentally stab the other kid and it's like the bleakest shit. Super Dark Times? Super Dark Times. So it's like a show. It's not like that bad, but it's like, uh, it's color corrected kind of the same way. And it's it's fucking just beautifully shot. And it's just, it takes place in a small town. It's just poor town. So like, it hits a little too close to home maybe. But uh, just <laughs> like, just nobody can catch a break. And it's just really well done. And Kate Winslet kills it. And Mayor, M-A-R-E. That's her name, Mayor oh, of East okay. Town, and that's what I watched. Excellent. How about you, Mike? Okay. Well, I watched first one. I'll bring up is I finally watched Suitable Flesh. All right. Joe Lynn. Uh, uh, no. Good. I was teasing you. I didn't like it. Yeah, I don't think. I don't. Neither of you guys liked it, Brian. I liked it. Oh, you did. I have not had a chance to watch it yet. I've been looking forward to it. So hopefully this weekend I'll get to it. Yeah. Well, normally I'm a big Joe Lynch fan, but I was very disappointed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's not bad per se. It's just kind of boring and generic. It just feels like this is shit I've seen a hundred times. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just like another Stuart Gordon movie or whatever. It's. Are we talking about Which? Heather Graham's boobs? Because I've seen them a hundred times, and I'm still not <laughs> so tired of seeing them. Here, here, here's here's where I'll tell you. Okay. Here's where the movie didn't click with me. Where I was getting annoyed at the amount of Heather Graham sex scenes. There's like four of them in this movie total, and it's not till the last I one you actually serious, get to see guys. the boobs. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of felt like she was phoning it in. I didn't think she was. Very believable at all in this until it kind of goes crazy in the third in the third act, um, but yeah, uh, and, and and I normally really like her and stuff, so um, but yeah, just overall not a fan. Sorry, Joe, still love you, buddy. Uh, let's see, then I watched. Let's see here. Uh, next one I watched is Studio 666. Finally got to see that. That's fun. Yeah, so much fun. Um, you know, Foo Fighters starring in a movie. Uh, and the plot is basically Rock and Roll Nightmare. So I'm into that. That's awesome. Uh, tons of cool cameos. You got Will Forte, Carrie uh, King from Slayer, uh, Steve Vice Hands. Um, John Carpenter. John Carpenter shows up. Uh, and he did the theme too. Didn't he do like yep. the score or whatever? Uh, yep. Jenna Ortega is shows up in it. Uh, my favorite cameo though, because it's the funniest scene in the whole movie, is when Lionel Richie shows up. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. 
like he you know he's sitting there playing hello and lionel richie walks in and he's like that's my fucking song so good anyway and i think cool gore some great um gore effects in it uh um i just thought it was a lot of fun i had a great time with it jason trost makes a weird cameo like hanging out with john carpenter yeah yeah the dude with the eye patch who is yeah you could do a, we should do a uh a jason trost episode sometime okay he's a really diy filmmaker and i think you would dig his shit oh all right yeah i just thought it was pretty funny um you know is the academy award-winning acting absolutely not uh anytime you put a full band as the stars of a movie it doesn't always go very well but i still thought it was really fun and funny and i thought dave Grohl was great so Last one I'll bring up is a movie from 2021 called Comedy of Horrors Volume 1. It's an anthology film, uh, but basically it's, it's clear to me that this is a collection of short films by different filmmakers that slap together to be a feature film with a last-minute attempt to try to do some wraparound. The wraparound is like the weakest part of this whole thing. It's this witch who gets a job as a substitute teacher and is reading horror stories to scare the children. Um, yeah, that the, the wraparound wasn't, wasn't too good. And, and you can obviously tell with direct, different directing styles and different even, like, you know, looks of each of the shorts that these are just, like, short films thrown together. Um, which, it's a, that's okay. Uh, I feel like doing that gives those short films a bigger opportunity to be seen and there's some good stuff in there that i think needs to be seen uh probably my favorite one is this this really funny one about this like puppet that comes to life and it's like a little ch- uh, a puppet from a children's show and it's it's pretty funny and i also really like the last one which is the main reason i watched it which is about this uh um effects artist who does a life cast of this um, Robert Downey Jr. style type of actor who does these superhero movies. Um, but as, when he does the life cast, he ends up stealing the soul of the actor and making him do his bidding and, and whatnot. And the reason why I was looking forward to it is because it stars Henry Serbrowski, um from um, last podcast on the left. And it was also, it also stars and, uh, was directed by, um, oh, what's his name? Hold on a second. Oh, uh, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Servito, who both of them are in Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Uh, he plays Satan in Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. And he, uh, and I, I, I just love that show so much, and I love those guys. So that was kind of the room. I saw they were in this together. Um, it's like I definitely had to check it out. Uh, you know, not so. There's some good shorts in there. Not all of them hold up, but I feel like it's 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 pretty competent over overall, and got some really funny stuff. But that's what I watched. All right, Brian, what have you watched lately? Well, so we subscribed for a month of Apple TV. Primarily so I could watch Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which we still haven't finished because it's just kind of there. Oh! But we have watched 
shrinking and are almost finished with Ted Lasso, and those are two of the Fuck best you. fucking things that Ever. have been on television since I don't know when. Oh my god, they're so good. That's uh, j- you saying Ted Lasso. <laughs> I'm so fucking happy right now, dude. Like, it's I just so, so love good. these characters. Like I've so I have cried at probably about half of the episodes yeah. we've yeah. watched. Like he's Ted, and I'm. This is. I'm sure I'm not saying anything new, but he's just the most unrelentingly nice and positive character. But it never tips into annoying. You just yep. want to love him, and every time something bad happens to him, it's fucking heartbreaking. And all the other characters are so good too, except Nate. Oh, fuck that little fucker! Nate. Hate him. <laughs> but god damn it, that show is so good. And Shrinking was the same way. I hope they oh. make another season of that. Yeah. Harrison Ford and Jason Segel are just phenomenal. Yeah. And and again, that's another one like. I've just been tearing up like almost every episode and the end was like, Oh, that was such a great ending, but give us more, please. Um, movie wise. So about a month ago, I drunkenly reactivated my letterboxd account after listening to an episode of unsung horrors thinking I'm going to start using this again. And I logged like three things and promptly forgot that I had done it. (laughs) But so I went back through and started adding more stuff. It's like, I'm never going to fucking remember, but so uh, my my Halloween sale shipment from Mondo Macabro finally came in. So I just watched uh, Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, which is a fantastic Paul Nashy, Valdemar Daninsky werewolf movie. One that was thought was never, ever going to even be available on home video again. But Mondo Macabro pulled it out with a fucking 4K with two Whoa. different versions of the movie. Two separate commentary tracks, one for each version, by the guys from the Nashi cast, who are awesome. And this movie is great. So the 4K is gone. That was a Halloween sale thing only. But um, there will be a, a regular Blu-ray version coming out, and I highly, highly recommend it. It's one of the best Paul Nashi movies, I think. At least one of the best werewolf ones, anyway. Um, are those then, are those on the on the video Nashi list? Oh my god! I like it. (laughs) Actually, that's it. I'm not sure if any of his movies were on the actual video nasty list or not. So interesting question. Answer is I don't know, but probably not because they all had fairly. Only four people had ever seen his movies, so like, what? How would they get to? They were very. They were very popular back in the back in the day. I mean, how do you think he got to make so fucking many of them? They made money, right? Um. So my buddy Ryan, who works at Dreamhaven in Minneapolis, which is the greatest store on the planet, it's my happy place. Anyone who is in the Minneapolis area or visiting up there, you got to go check it out. It's a great sci-fi horror bookstore, collectible store. Awesome. Anyway, he has a vast fucking knowledge of Hong Kong films, something which I love, but I've only ever scratched the surface. So he's been hooking me up with all kinds of awesome shit. So I, the most recent ones I've watched are The Witch with Flying Head, which is kind of like Mystics in Bali. It's a Penangalan movie. Ooh, cool. uh, the only available version currently are super shitty VHS rips with no subtitles. So mm. watch with chemical <laughs> enhancements, I guess. Um, and then Human Pork Chop, which is a super, super fucking gross Category 3 movie based on a 
true crime story. So oh. I've been watching some true oh. crime stuff too, Jason. Oh, <laughs> so similar. There's a poopy. There's a poop eating scene. <laughs> and Operation Pink Squad Two, which I actually posted cool. some clips from in the attacker chat a while back. Uh, if you that's remember, that that's was. the. That yes, that's the movie where the Buddhist monk is trying to exercise a haunted apartment tower block, and so he and a group of female detectives disguised as prostitutes who are trying to bust a crime ring operating in the same haunted apartment tower block are chasing down a ghost with remote-controlled helicopters, and that's not even the weirdest part of the movie. <laughs> so if you can find it. Check out Operation Pink Squad too, because it's fucking awesome and it's genuinely really, really funny. It's a lot of the the Hong Kong stuff. If they're not repugnant <laughs> category three movies, are horror comedies like in the kind of in the Mister Vampire vein, but they get a lot wackier than that. But they're yeah. Anyway, awesome. Hong Kong cinema is fucking wild and something everyone needs more of in their life. Sweet. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> well, any, yeah, anytime. Well, well, Brian sells it, you know. Yeah, he and does. and he sends us little clips and shit in the group chat. If you're not an attacker, you're missing out on Brian's fun highlights from his movies. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> all right, was that all you watched? I mean, I know it's not all you watched, but. Uh, I mean, I, Godzilla minus one came out since Woo! the last time I was here, so that's kind of the elephant in the room. Yeah. Fucking amazing, obviously. Saw it. I was going to go see it four the fourth time, and then I wasn't able to, and then it left the theater, but I got three viewings in it. Three? Did you see Godzilla minus one minus color, though? No, we our theater didn't get it, and yeah, I've already seen it three times, so I wasn't going to make a two-hour road trip to see, the, you know, it's yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, I was really... Like, Jason told the story of you know when when he saw it and his what we watched, but I was like, "This one's for you." I I know I talk about Godzilla all the fucking time, but <laughs> this is one that you specifically will really love because of what a great emotional story it tells, and yeah, yeah it's it's phenomenal. Hell I yes. agree. Made it on my list too. I loved it. All right, Ted, what have you been watching? What's to say? Somebody asked me. Um, <laughs> I watched a new documentary on Netflix called The Greatest Night in Pop. Anyone see this yet? Nope. Nope. Anyone heard about it? Nope. I think I... S Call me when they put out The Greatest Night in Metal. Yeah. <laughs> it's a documentary about the making of the We Are the World song. Oh, I did see oh. the cover. For, I didn't watch the trailer. It's fucking awesome, guys. Lionel Richie telling Michael Jackson stories. Fuck yeah. Like, I, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but, like, he's talking about going over to Michael's house, and they're in his studio, and these books start flying off the shelf and, like, hitting Lionel Richie in the head, and he's like, what the fuck? And he, like, turns his shoulder, and there's a fucking boa in his face, and Michael Jackson's like, <laughs> Mike, Michael Jackson's like, oh, Lionel, there he is. You found him. He's been missing for all whole week, and it's like, this fucking snake <laughs> has been... <laughs> missing inside of Michael Jackson's mansion. Uh, why Why did you turn Michael Jackson into a Southern Belle? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do a good MJ, okay? Um, what? That was flawless. My, uh, 
you know, I don't have the impersonations, okay? I do that love how um, Lionel Richie's gotten brought up twice now already on a horror movie <laughs> well, podcast. Wow. We'll change the so, name of the episode. Well, he sort of hosts this thing because that was his saying. Like, this whole project was sort of his saying. Oh, okay. Um, but there's also a story where he is, like, again, at the studio, and he hears, like, a lot of commotion going on downstairs, like like someone's getting killed or something. He's like, what the fuck? Like, screaming and barking. He's like, what is that? And he's like, oh, the dog goes crazy because the, uh, the, the parrot knows how to talk, so they fight now. So the parrot yells at the dog, and the dog barks at the parrot, so they're constantly fighting in the kitchen. <laughs> but outside of those stories, it's fascinating because um, this thing was made, and I, I, I promise I'm not spoiling the whole thing, because you get to see all the footage they shot behind the scenes. and uh, But little things I didn't know, like basically this thing was put together on like a favor, like the American amuse- the American Music Awards were happening in L.A. on one night. Lionel Richie was hosting, and they were like, we're going to have all these stars in the same city for one night. Let's get them together and do this song. And they had to write this thing in like a week. And they literally like just all of them left the American Music Awards at like 1030 at night, went to the studio and recorded until like 7 in the morning the next morning. Wow. Because, like, cell phones didn't exist. They didn't all have private planes. They were all on their separate tours. Like, how do we get all these people together? And they literally all just had to be, you know, they just all showed up. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, I highly recommend it. Really cool. Um, The next thing I watched was on the other end was Lisa Frankenstein, which I really loved. Um, I've been hearing good things. Yeah, it has uh, the girl from Freaky, the lead actress from Freaky. She's really great in this. Cool. It, uh, yeah, it is def- – I don't know. I think it's going to be a love or hate thing for people. Um, Zelda Williams, who's Rob Williams' daughter, directed it. Oh, yeah, Diablo- right. yeah. yeah, Diablo Cody wrote it and is a producer. You know her from Jennifer's Body and wow. Young Adult. And, yeah, she's done some great stuff. Uh, I really love the. It has a very dark, dry sense of humor. Uh, plays on the trope of lonely teenage girl accidentally resurrects a dead guy. They fall in love, but to get him parts, they have to murder people. So it's like a teenage version of May. Yeah, um, yeah really loved it. Uh, I can't go without mentioning that Joe Bob showed Freeway and Vamp. Uh, Freeway was a first time watch for me. Yay. Vamp, Vamp was not. Obviously, we covered on the show not too long ago, but Freeway is a fucking great movie to play on the last drive-in. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I've loved that movie for so long. I didn't know people knew I've, about it. Yeah, I've seen pictures from it. I've been aware of it, and I'm like, surely I've seen it. Nope. Well, start watching it. Have not seen it. Um, I remember when that came out, and yeah. But, like, seeing the poster and stuff and just thinking, like, this looks like some dumb teeny bopper thing. I don't right. care. Because the poster was awful and the ad campaign was lousy. <laughs> and then yep. years later, as a Vinegar Syndrome subscriber, I see that get announced as one of their titles on 4K. And I'm like, <laughs> fucking seriously? What the shit is this? <laughs> and then so he got it and watched it. It was like, wow, that was really weird and really good. And not at all what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's it's like I said, a perfect Joe Bob movie because like 
people like me or maybe like Brian before Vinegar Syndrome touched it would not have given it a chance based on the poster or who's in it. And then I'm like, he sort of hyped up that, you know, it goes, it just like, it's like five movies in one because it goes, shifts from here into like a prison movie from a road movie to, you know, it's all over the place. Really loved it. That was fun. I'll be in a little I have to check out the second one because I actually like the second one a little better. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Going with Natasha Leone. Yeah. I think it's it's a little weirder and a little sleazier. Sounds which, like you know that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I think they played the trailer between the movie, right, for part two, or am I? That's usually when I get up to pee and refill my whiskey. So e- maybe either <laughs> either they did or they or they played it at film scene a few weeks ago because I remember seeing Natasha Leone in a trailer and they might have just played it during they they played a forty five minute trailer reel and so I think they. Uh, probably had that in there. I've been watching the Oscar movies. I won't go into them. I watched Rustin and Maestro. Rustin was great. Maestro was a snooze fest. I love Bernstein. I Bradley Cooper. I just I think uh, Dewey Cox has ruined all biopics for me. I just <laughs> when when a guy puts on a fake when a guy puts on a fake nose and tries to be serious and I'm, I'm just like man. <laughs> whatever um but one other thing i watched was lover stalker killer on netflix um <sighs> this is a he- another true crime documentary threw it on while i was like working on the laptop on other stuff um i'm a sucker for these but it's another one of those like dude gets involved with a girl on you know a dating app uh after a few dates you know, he decides like this isn't. She's not the one. Whatever, move on. It's not a big deal. Didn't think you know it was a casual thing. And suddenly, like he starts getting threatening text messages. Then he starts like, it's not just like I hate you. It's like I can see you. I can see your kids. I can see your ex girlfriend. I'm at your ex- and then pictures from like inside of the ex girlfriend's house. And yeah, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and very scary. Um, it's brand new on Netflix. If you're into true crime, you've probably already watched it. But if not, check it out. That's what I watched. Dewey, Dewey Cox is what you get when you fall asleep naked outside in the springtime. <laughs> <laughs> and but if you haven't, I was going to say, if you haven't seen uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, oh that's God, probably one that of my favorite really. comedies of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so it's time now to get into our topic and the films within that topic. Tad, what's our first movie we're going to talk about? A movie that is made from a TV show. Unfortunately, it is The Munster's Revenge. <laughs> oh, no. Clear the cobwebs off your VCR and get ready for America's first family of fright. Thank goodness. Family face. This time, Herman, Grandpa, and the rest of the Munsters find themselves up to their fangs in hot water. We've been accused of terrorizing a city. If we expect to clear our names, Herman, we're going to have to do something about it. These monsters are no dummies. Or are they? You mean that? Don't do anything I wouldn't do. You rascal. A mad scientist is sending familiar-looking robots on a crime spree, and it's up to the monsters to stop him. And all the time I thought we were innocent. So join Herman and Grandpa as they go undercover on a mission of grave importance. It all adds up to a frightfully funny adventure and a monstrous good time. Are we there yet? I'll drink to that. How are things in Transylvania? 
Sid Caesar isn't the only one who gets a charge out of visiting 1313 Mockingbird Lane. The Monster's Revenge. That was an interesting trailer. Um, <laughs> when the owner of a wax museum attempts to frame Herman and Grandpa Munster for pulling a jewelry heist, they must prove their innocence and find out who the true thieves are. I made it sound way cooler than it is. Um, they <laughs> they brought back a good portion. We have Fred Gwynn. We have Yvonne DiCarlo, Al Lewis uh, from the original cast. Uh, we have Bob Hastings as Phantom of the Opera, the most obnoxious fucking character ever. Ugh. Maybe uh, ever. Yeah. Maybe ever. Nikki had to leave the room. She was like, <laughs> "Lucky." It, it, she, she was like, "Okay, the g- gag was funny the first time, but right. once, right. yeah, once. Holy shit! Like, I, I, it's like you have to adjust the volume on your TV, and I get that's the joke, but knock it the fuck off. Um, every five minutes. Yes, <laughs> this is a 1981 like comeback for the Munsters. Um, to be clear to our listeners, uh, we didn't watch uh, you know the other Munster movies because well they're not available for streaming or um, because we thought you know the other ones the Rob Zombie one which I would have preferred to rewatch than this unfortunately. Well, and I I at least this one isn't three hours long. <laughs> I yeah. went. I went with yes. this because I feel. I mean, I feel like we've talked about that one, and we haven't officially say, done it for a show. But you yeah. know, year enders and what we watched and stuff. Yeah. This is like fresh eyes. So I right. figured that's kind of why I went with this. And and I think that was a good choice too because it's like the only one of the only probably three monster things I haven't. I mean, I haven't checked this one off. Now I have, but there's. I think there's one with like. It was it the '90s that they redid it. And I don't was, know if that. Yeah, there, I think there was another TV movie with with a whole new cast. That was yeah. supposed the Monsters, to be ninety five. That was supposed to lead into a new yeah. series or something. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the I, one where Sandy Baron from Vamp is uh, Grandpa? I don't know. Do you have it pulled up there? Uh, I remember it's what's his name. I can't remember that actor's name doing Herman. Um, gosh dang it. Edward Herman. Yeah, you think I'd remember that? Yeah. <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, this wasn't awful because I still like Fred and Al Lewis, and you, like the chemistry's still there, and it's fun to see yeah. the classic characters, and they still look pretty damn good. I love the like wax museum like setting. I hate like these weird people just wearing Don Post masks, and we're supposed to like believe, and it's like <laughs> Eddie's weird. Right? I mean... Oh, well, yeah. Really weird. I mean, not just because they recast them, just, like, they didn't know how what to do with it. And <laughs> the story is just so ridiculous. They're like, after all this time, we come back with this TV movie, and they're like, a jewelry heist with wax robots. What? Dude, this is the plot to Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. It's it, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also not very good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not only can they not come up with their own original plot, but they choose to rip off a plot of another shitty made-for-TV movie. So I take it uh, there aren't really fans of this one? This movie made me wonder if I even liked the Munsters to begin with. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? And I'm not saying I didn't like... Uh, look at my phone once in a while, but I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this movie? 
In 96, they did the monster scary little Christmas. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> this, this is such a weird one. Cause like you said, Ted, like, you still don't mind spending time with right. Herman Probably. and Grandpa. Because yeah. Fred Gwynn is a fucking legend. Like, he unfuckwithable. Even yep. when what he's doing isn't very good, he still yep. makes it somewhat watchable just by the sheer force of his charisma. Same with Al Lewis. Oh, yeah. But it's... <laughs> here, okay. It's edited like an episode of the series. Well... Even though it's a TV movie. Or the, I mean, TV, okay. Even though it's a movie-length thing. So... It's still got all the built-in pauses where the laugh track should be. Exactly. That right. Except yeah. it doesn't yeah. have They're... the laugh track. <laughs> That's what makes Which... this the so awkward to watch is because yes. it's set up like an episode where the actors will wait for the laugh before they move on to the next line. But there's no laugh. There's no laugh track, and it's <laughs> it's just full of cringy. That's nobody's fault, but the jokes. directors. Like, and yeah. nobody no in our house reason. is laughing at it either. Yeah. But that does kind of have the effect of making some of the scenes kind of unsettling just by the sheer force of how awkward and uncomfortable it makes you feel watching it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the scene where Herman's busting up the police station and they edit in all those weird animal growls. <laughs> it was yeah. one of those things like, okay, this is fine. And then it just keeps going. You're like, okay, is this going to end? And it just kept going. And by the time it was over, it's like, this is making me feel bad. <laughs> I'm not exactly afraid, but I, what, what am I watching? Uh, yeah. I will say, though, talking about the setting of the Wax Museum, because Wax Museums are cool anyway, I it was great that they brought had the creature from the Black Lagoon. It wasn't Uncle Gil. It was just a yeah. you know, wax robot. Yeah, but as the, soon as there, I saw him, was, too, I thought, oh, cool, we're going to get Uncle Gil. But, yeah. So there was one really odd choice that I really appreciated. So you've got Creature from the Black Lagoon. you got Herman and Grandpa, which they're not even... Like, why are they in the Wax Museum? Yeah, how did that... I mean, unless yeah. it's supposed to be... The Frankenstein monster and Dracula, but it's the whole family, though. It is, yeah. That's the, but they aren't really like celebrities, so I don't really understand how they. Anyway, made it into a wax museum. Yeah, but right, but one of the other wax things is the creature from Frankenstein versus the space <laughs> monster, <laughs> which that is such a weird deep cut. Even back, I mean, that movie was twenty years old when this got made. So, like, nobody's going to fucking recognize that. Just found the costume in the back of some warehouse somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I probably don't hate it nearly as much as the rest of you, because I'm a sucker for the monsters. And I, it's definitely very padded, you know. Again, that uh, yeah. scene in the police station that's just one of many that's just overly padded, trying to pad this out. And it could definitely, this is probably one of the few times I'll ever see it, it definitely could have used the laugh track. Um, but I, I can just watch Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis, you know, just goof around for an hour and a half, and that's kind of what this is. Mm. Uh, you know, is... is um, uh, I'm blanking on names now. 
Are all the other Munster characters highly unused in this? Absolutely. I don't care because it, would, it would probably make it worse for me just because I just enjoy watching those two. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like the old, uh, the old show Car 54, Where Are You? for those moments when you do get Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis together back then. Uh, those two are um, actors that I've always been entertained by, and when they're t- together, it's a it's a great comedy duo. Um, you know, and you know, then there's also you know, like the makeup is really inconsistent. You, know, you could definitely see, especially with with uh, with Evelyn, that you could s- see a lot of her real flesh tone underneath. Well, that's a, a thing we haven't mentioned is that it's in color, too. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, the whole thing is... But, which is a is bit jarring color. on the eyes just because you're used to, at least I felt. Um, but I will say, I just looked up the kid that played Eddie. He's one of the kids in E.T., not, you know, Elliot, but one of the kids, like the bike gang kids. He played Greg in the Amityville Horror, and he was Timmy in Bloody Birthday. So this kid's got way better options to watch. <laughs> But there was color monster stuff before this. The theatrical stuff was color. Yeah. Yeah. It was also, you know, done with the budget of a theatrical movie. (laughs) Even if they were low budget, they were still more expensive and lavish than this. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, But Sid Caesar, though, right? Like, he was great. Was he? No, I'm just just trying (laughs) to get you guys riled up. Guys, you can say it. This is terrible, and you shouldn't watch it. If you want to, <laughs> if you want Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis, watch the show. It's yeah. an interesting misfire. This is terrible. I, it wasn't <laughs> not good, but worth I watching. Say it. If it had been on Sven Gulli, I would have enjoyed it more. Oh, it would have been for Sven Gulli, not for this. Yeah. This exactly. is terrible. Yes. I like the rubber bat at the end because you know, rubber bats <laughs> Lord, on strings are fun. Bats on strings are. I awesome. was a little pissed off though because it was, did feel like it was kind of okay. First of all, I cannot for a second buy Sid Caesar as an Egyptian <laughs> prince, so fuck off with that. Yeah. But it, I felt like it was kind of setting up like it would have been cool to see them battle an actual mummy, like the monsters. It, a big gag in the show is everyone reacting to them because they're monsters. Oh, it's terrifying, but they don't get it because they just think they're normal people. So it would have been kind of cool to have that juxtaposition of them having to fight an actual reanimated mummy. Yeah. So you've got these people who are monsters but don't really get that fighting a monster that is just purely monstrous, and that would have been kind of neat. But it's yeah. all just a setup for that stupid joke, like, oh, we de-aged him too far and he's a baby <laughs> fuck off yeah you can tell that that was all set up when they when Sid Caesar keeps talking about his Egyptian potty and you get that final shot of the mummy as a baby sitting on that potty like god damn it yep Mike's somewhere laughing at this <laughs> I will say Jason's angry somewhere about this yeah I will say I did right have now. it going through my mind right now it's like oh man we should have watched one of the other monsters but uh, but why we've already talked about Rob Zombies. It's like, oh my god, why we why didn't we do an Adams Family movie? Yeah, that's kind of what <laughs> that was my thought process <laughs> while watching this. Uh huh. <clears throat> anyway, Mike. speaking of Rob Zombie and the monsters, have any of you guys listened to the commentary track that he does with the? Butch Patrick and Justin Beam on the Monsters Go Home. No, I disc. want I want that's that. That's a disc. really good commentary yeah. track. Yeah, unfortunately, I have not. 
but I want it. Uh, Tad, what uh, trivia do you have for this piece of There's quite, actually quite a bit, um, but I, I just picked some of the highlights. Uh, Fred Gwynn insisted that the original makeup artists Carl Severa and Abe Haberman, who were both still working in the business, be brought aboard to make the vintage monsters look, make sure the vintage monsters look was retained. So, uh, that's sort of cool of him to like insist that they come back. Um, when N- NBC approached Fred to reprise his role as Herman after 15 years, he was initially uninterested. However, his second wife, Deb Gwynn, suggested he accept the role and just ask the network for a very large paycheck. Fred thought NBC would refuse, so he highballed them, and they surprisingly agreed, so he accepted the role. Hence, no production value in the rest of the movie. <laughs> All went to Fred's paycheck. Uh, Bob Hastings, who provided the voice of the Raven in the original series... Uh, portrays Uncle Phantom of the Opera, everyone's favorite character. <laughs> Ezra Stone, who directed many of the original Munsters episodes, appears as Dr. Lightlighter. So that makes sense. The, the guy who did the voice of the uh, Raven is plays Uncle Phantom. And I'll say this. Again, can't wax Fred Gwynn's car enough. Um, I didn't, you know, he didn't want to do this. And I read about that, too. At no point did I ever feel like he was phoning it in. I still feel like he gave it a, a hundred. Oh yeah. So good on him. Yep. Was that it? That's it. Oh okay. Thank you, Tad, for that. Now it's time for our next movie we're going to talk about, and it's Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Stephen King, originator of Pet Cemetery. <gasps> Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Michael McDowell, creator of Beetlejuice. <laughs> George Romero, director of Night of the Living Dead. Now, these four masters of everlasting horror bring to the screen. Four tales of overwhelming terror. <laughs> I warned them, but they wouldn't listen. Tales of diabolical fate. You promised you'd never tell! Tales of ghastly revenge. Grow, O oh light. Rise, O oh light. Come forth, O oh light. Open his eyes. Tales of ruthless evil. That cat has killed three people in this household. I don't believe this. Kill it, bury it, and bring me its tail. Tales from the dark side. Well, that just about takes care of that, doesn't it? Come live the nightmare of your choice. Tales. From the dark side. The movie. Tales from the dark side, the movie, or as I like to call it, the real creep show three. A suburban housewife and modern day witch is planning a dinner party. The main dish is to be Timmy, a young boy whom has ca- she has captured and chained up in her pantry. 
to stall from her cooking him, the boy tells her three stories from a book she gave him called Tales from the Dark Side. You got three stories in this. You got Lot 249. Um, I remember that title because they say Lot 249 about 100 times. Um, the Cat from Hell and uh, Lover's Vow. Those are our stories in this one. I call it Creep Show 3 because one, Creep Show 3 is a piece of garbage. It should never be associated <laughs> with the series. Um, but two, one of these, I can't remember which one, whichever one was written by Stephen King or whatever, was Cat actually. Cat from Hell. Cat. Cat from Hell, okay. Was originally supposed to be a segment for Creep Show 2, um, but it got cut. I can't remember why. Budgetary, probably. Uh, and. You know, it was laying around, so when they decided to do Tales from the Dark Side the movie, they threw it into that. Sorry if I uh, stepped on any trivia toes there, Ted. I was going to say, you want me to just read this first one that's a little more in-depth on that? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Get it out of the way now. Okay, so Tales from the Dark Side the movie is considered by many uh, fans and Tom Savini himself to be the official Creepshow 3. Following the success of Stephen King and George Romero's Creepshow, Laurel Entertainment, who did Creepshow 1 and 2... Uh, toyed with the idea of Creepshow television series. After several negotiations and changes due to rights holders, the decision was made to just change the title for the series to Tales from the Dark Side to be helmed by none other than Creepshow director and Creepshow 2 screenwriter George A. Romero. After the series' great success, just roughly three short years after Creepshow 2 hit theaters, Tales from the Dark Side of the movie came to fruition in 1990 as the successor to the original two Creepshow installments, sharing many of the same crew as the Creepshow installments. Boom. Schooled. Uh, I, I used to really love this. I mean, it's not, it doesn't hold up as much as I used to. Um, I, I still like it. I still like it a lot. I think it's a little too... A little too polished, a little too 90s look to it. Kind of flat, kind of too brightly lit, all that stuff. Where's And where's my crazy colored gels from the original Creep Show? Come on. Um, but but it's, 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 not, it's not bad. Uh, maybe some of the stories go on a little longer than they should. Probably all three of them. But you got some cool people in there. Uh, oh, the cast is incredible. Incredible. Like, this is early Christian Slater, early Steve Buscemi, early, um, I just blanked on her name. Mm-hmm. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore, thank you. Um, you got Buster Poindexter in there. Uh, and <laughs> I Debbie think Harry. Debbie yeah, Harry. James Remar. I, I, but I think, I think it's... Ray Don Chong. Ray Don Chong. You Lawrence. William Hickey. Yeah. <laughs> This just an hour of us listing the, all the <laughs> actors that are in this. It's fucking character actor Palooza, plus a couple of future Oscar winners. Did you guys catch it in the Cat from Hell that had Buster Poindexter? I can never remember his real name. Uh, David Johansson. David Johansson. Did you catch it in there that uh, he actually says the words hot, hot, hot? Hot, hot, hot. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I think that's the first Eyes time I ever caught roll. that. But. So, I... I read an interview uh, with John Harrison in Delirium Magazine, uh-huh. and he was talking about oh, I can that, read. Seg- oh, okay. <laughs> that segment <laughs> specifically, where um, 
William Hickey was like his health wasn't very good, but oh, he and David Johansson both liked a little bit of the booze. So oh. and and so they would have this great rapport, and they would go into David Johansson's dressing room anytime they were on call and just get shit faced. So they were like three sheets to the wind through most of the shooting <laughs> segment. But uh, yeah, that awesome. He also he also said that because um, they'd asked him about the whole creep show three thing, and he said there was at one point talk of doing a creep show three, but it wasn't where like they couldn't for some reason and then kind of pivoted to dark side. He said they had always planned on doing a tales from the dark side movie, and that's always what this was. Nice. There was never going to be like a you know the the, the cat from because. They were kind of planning on doing both at the same time, so um, George Romero was commissioning scripts for both, and we're just going to kind of, oh, we'll use this one for this movie and this one for that one, and so that's how they wound up sticking the cat from hell on this. But Okay. Okay. Man, I, mean, I love the old TV show. I loved that show. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I Absolutely. started watching it when it was on Prime, but it was on there for like a week and got taken off, so oh, I didn't get to watch hell? too many of them, yeah. The tone of the show is always much creepier than the movie, especially that intro. Oh, that intro as yeah, a child send chills tree. up my spine. Yeah, there's a tree that's like right across the bridge in Illinois. There's like a stretch of road that's a two-lane highway with no like buildings around, and that there's like a tree that reminds me so much of that opening. Yeah, yeah, in that in that um, where the narrator you know is talking about like. But there's another side, and then it reverses yep. to like n- that tree negative. turns into negative. Yeah. Oh, and then that that score, the the score for the theme, yep. is just so creepy. And I noticed uh, watching it this time that the opening of the movie is that is that theme. It's the theme, but they've kind of Danny Elfmaned it up a bit, <laughs> so it doesn't have the same effect. Plus, the backdrop is not like some creepy lone tree. It's like a suburban neighborhood. As she's driving through, so again, not not overly as creepy as the classic show, but I, I still like I still like the the movie overall. I think probably my favorite segment. I don't know. It's kind of a toss up between. Eh, I, I like the lovers' vow, you know, reveal. Even though, I mean, you see it coming, but it's still well, you do. It's still a good. You I think it? it's still a good reveal. I liked yeah. it. And so come and considering that story's like a hundred and fifty fucking years old, yeah. <laughs> and I and I really liked, but I really liked Lot Two Forty Nine. I mean, that could yep. be a lot to do with the cast, but I still really liked it. What'd you guys think? I've seen this one before. I own it on DVD. I really like it. Um, but again, I rewatching it. I still enjoy it, but I again sort of just like question if I'm like liking it because Nostalgia I I'm like. Yeah, well, it's like, oh, it's that guy. It's, it's Chris Slater. It's oh, Debbie Harry. It's, yeah. you know, a million people I know, and I know who it's, made it. It's like sleight of hand. Look over here while we put this shitty yeah. movie in front of you. And... <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not bad, <laughs> but it's just, it's like, uh, it still sort of feels like um, not quite creep show. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that's the probably the biggest ta- takeaway. It's not quite creep show. It's Which even, is fine. Not everything can be creep show, but it feels like it's. Yeah, it's when you like, get lumped in with that family, you know. Yeah, it's like uh, if you you ask mom, "Can we watch creep show?" and she's like, "We have creep show at home. We have this." 
Or like you order Creepshow from Temu. Right, you can't have the name brand cereal. You gotta have yep. tasty oats. Which is still, you know, it's still better than not having it. Uh, and it's yep. better than the actual whatever we've got from <laughs> Creepshow 3. But, uh, yeah. and, but that's not but a high bar. And I still, re- I actually think I liked it more this time than the last time I watched it. But I think I was in the uh, maybe after watching it, following Munster's Revenge, uh, <laughs> helps out. <laughs> you know, it's like a good palate cleanser. It reminded me that there are good things in this world. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> Jason. Oh, it's my favorite of the three. Um, but <laughs> and I mean everything you're saying is right, but the thing for me was just just um it felt like a made for TV. It just seemed so just watered down and and I kinda I felt like there wasn't necessarily resolve in some of them and and I don't it's yeah, I, all it made all it made me want to do is to watch the best movie from 1990 with Christian Slater. Pump up the volume. Woo! That's all I wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's it was. Brian, what did you, did you like it? Yes. Good. Now, I remember talking, thinking about the show. I remember coming across that like when we first got our satellite dish out on the farm and got sci-fi channel right so yeah i was i don't know 12 or 13 something like that and even though it was had all this talent behind it tom savini george romero all these great people it was really low budget and it was originally made as a tv like they made a tv movie that was meant for like syndication on uhf channels or something like that but then when it went to series it was still and it was good, like, the the writing was fantastic, kind of like Doctor Who, and the old Doctor Who in that way, that the writing was great, but they had no money. And so seeing that weird intro, and it looked like the videotape they shot it on was secondhand, you know? Like, they yeah, had to shoot yeah. it over, yeah. over their mom's old tapes that she recorded <laughs> soap operas on or something. And so I remember when I'd see it pop up on TV... In the middle of the day, it felt like something you weren't supposed to be watching. Absolutely, Does yeah. that make sense? Like, oh, absolutely. Why is this on at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Like, the sun's out, and it's everything's normal, but I just feel weird because this show seems off somehow. Um, and yeah, then it, I remember seeing that... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that just, that just kind of shows the, the talent behind that show, right? I mean, go back and watch that opening theme again you got the narrator you got this cool theme the images are just like these poorly shot stock shots of nothing like a tree yeah. in the middle of nowhere and the but yet that opening is so creepy and then i remember as a kid of course seeing the vhs cover in the video store like the the cover was creepy with that sort of evil cloud holding the book oh yeah and then, of course on the back there's a picture of the gargoyle and so as a kid that always freaked me out so i always had like i remembered the the title and everything and it wasn't until probably within the last 10-ish years that i finally actually got to see the movie and i remember it not really living up to that expectation you know remembering the show kind of creeping me out remember the video uh cover art scaring me as a kid yeah and 
but rewatching it this time, but I still kind of liked it. It was just like, oh, this isn't as good as I was hoping. But separated from all those expectations, rewatching it again for the episode, I really enjoyed it. Sweet. It's it's so morbid and playful and fun and the, the segments all have very differing tones to them which again that in that uh, interview i read with the director said that was completely intentional he wanted it to feel like each one was could have been an episode of the show because you know some of those were funny and some were scary and more serious and whatever mm-hmm. but e- even the stuff that was a little more serious felt like it was just kind of playful and like we're having fun here we're all on the same page. We we know what we're doing. Um, yeah. Lot two forty nine is probably <clears throat> my least favorite. Okay. But even I still really enjoyed it. Like the, some of the gruesome kills, like when Julianne Moore gets sliced up the back and the mummy shoves flowers in her, like it's trying <laughs> to embalm her. That's pretty gross. And I love. Um, the, you know the the stinger ending is great. Yeah, I, I love Christian Slater just taking the mummy apart. It's like, oh, I saw it coming. This thing is fucking slow, and he cuts it up with an electric carving <laughs> knife. That was hilarious. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the cat from hell is just pure fun. I mean, it's based on a really good story by Stephen King. It was adapted by George Romero, so it's got a good script. David Johansson's always a blast to watch. I can't ever see William Hickey without thinking about Grace, go in the living room and get my stogie. But, <laughs> yep, yep. you know. <laughs> but uh, Lover's Vow is it's, I'm probably stealing a bit from Tad, but it's based on a Japanese folktale called Yuki Ona, or the Snow Woman, where it kind of the same story, except he meets the woman in a blizzard and she's a ghost. <clears throat> but uh, Michael McDowell changed her from a ghost to a gargoyle uh, when he wrote the script for this, and that was obviously the right call, because if anyone remembers anything about this fucking movie, it's that gargoyle. Yeah. Which is this awesome animatronic effect and this super gory transformation scene. Just fucking glop everywhere and <laughs> skin ripping and muscles splitting open. and uh, Yeah, super cool. But anyway, yeah, I, I and the, the wraparound story is like kind of clunky, but it feels like it's clunky on purpose. Yeah, that's not a like thing. Like they're just doing a shtick, you know? Like it's I don't know. I, I really, really like this one. This time around I had a ton of fun watching it, so sweet. That was my favorite part because Matthew Lawrence, you know, oh, yeah. little last week's bonus episode shout out to Boy Meets World. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I love Debbie Harry, so <laughs> Hell yeah. Me Go. fucking too. Who, oh, who doesn't? Yeah. If you don't love Debbie <laughs> Harry, you're wrong. You're just <laughs> wrong. What <laughs> what trivia do you have for Tales from the Dark Side of the movie? Uh let's <coughs> see. Um I have some fun Romero call outs. Ooh. The characters at 19 minutes, 40 seconds is watching George A. Romero's Night of Living Dead on television, which is probably the most watched, like, public Movie domain thing. Yeah. In, in, uh, in any other film. You know, yeah, and I think we've talked about that before. And when I saw that, when I noticed that that's what they were watching, I'm like, well, at least this time it's fitting, you know? At least right. time it, it makes sense more than it just being a public domain movie and we can put it in our movie. Uh, let's see. 
In the episode Cat from Hell, a TV is showing a scene from Martin, also written and directed by George A. Romero. Yeah. And during a scene in Lot 249, Dawn of the Dead can be heard playing on the TV. Oh, I think I missed that. What was I doing? So, yeah, they fit it into, like, all the segments and just fun little Romero call-outs. My other other bit was just about how it's, you know, a lot of people consider it Creepshow 3. How did they get um, Richard Rubenstein to release this grip to allow clips of Martin to be shown? I don't know. So I like how they put special effects by Dick Smith and huge right. in the credits, but he was just there as a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would too. Maybe it was clips from uh, the TV show from the 1990s called Martin. <laughs> Martin Lawrence. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Sweet. And now, folks, it is time for our Saving the movie. best for last. That's right. That's Here we go. Right. Jason. We're talking about the 1983 movie <laughs> Twilight Zone, the movie. John Landis, American Werewolf in London. Steven Spielberg, E.T. Joe Dante, The Howling. George Miller, Mad Max. These acclaimed directors take you to another dimension. A journey into a wondrous land whose only boundaries are your imagination. Next stop, The Twilight Zone. This tribute to the beloved Supernatural TV show has four episodes. In the first, racist Bill Connor is transformed into a Jew in World World War II. Next, Mr. Bloom, Scamman Crothers, comes to a retirement home to teach the residents they're not they're only as young as they feel. He sounds his voice sounds like a transformer. It does a little bit. I won't do it. Uh in the third teacher Helen Foley, Kathleen Quinlan meets Anthony, a boy who is not what he seems. Finally, panicky plane passenger John Valentine played by the Unfuck upable. What? How'd Brian say that earlier? The un- unfuck withable. Yes, John Lithgow, <laughs> gal, sees gremlins attacking his flight. Guys, this movie, uh, I honks. I mean, it honks. Yeah. It slaps. No, that honks is honks bad. Honks is bad. Oh, honks is bad. Like, like honk up is, chunks. Is that a new thing? Okay. Wow. Well. I I wasn't sure I'd seen Tales from the Dark Side. I know I hadn't seen Mustard, M- Mustard's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Mustard. And, uh, That's a whole Kurt, other movie. Kurt Colonel Mustard. <laughs> but I but I do remember seeing that Radon Chong skit at the end. I know I've seen that one. You yeah. But like so I, I must have seen it once a long time ago. Yeah. But I don't think I've seen all the Twilight Zone before either. I don't I don't remember it. Although I remember I've seen the John Lithgow scene part but anyway hey 
fuck this movie. You know, <laughs> this. I, I realize that you know. But how do you feel? I'm gonna. Uh, I have to. Tur- I have to turn in my card of the guy who cried awesome. <laughs> you know, because I'm starting to turn into me, man. I'm, I'm over three on this episode, guys. I'm sorry, but yeah. uh, I, I, I was so checked out by the first skit, skit story. <laughs> That there was no chance. I I hated it so much, and I don't know if it's because I'm a snowflake, or or what. I I don't. I haven't thought this through, so I know I can edit it out. Um, it's like I'm not into banning books, but maybe this movie needs banned because this that opening scene is so horrible. Like there's no value to it in any way. I hate it so much. Well, the one with what the Aykroyd, the Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> the racist bullshit. The, the, he's talking about Time Out or whatever. I know. Oh, okay. That's not the first one. Well, they're they're joking about the quote the unquote wraparound, wraparound oh, gotcha. which really isn't the wraparound. Just shows up at the beginning and end. Right. That is a wraparound. Yeah, yeah but no middle. Book bookend segment. Okay, there you oh, go. Jesus, semantics. What, well, rap, well, wrapping around <laughs> anyway. <laughs> hey, fuck racist. Fuck this! How could that be creative at any time in our lives and history? How can anyone defend this story? No and, matter what the ending is, you don't. You just don't do that to to prove your point of this story. It's so awful. <laughs> I it's mean, worse, and that segment is such a mess for obvious reasons. Obvious, but yeah. It doesn't have a satisfying resolution because no. they couldn't no. show the resolution. Uh, and so he doesn't learn his lesson. So that's the so big problem. It's just, hey, it's let's be racist the on the movie for a while. So all of these are based on actual episodes. Uh, yeah. I have never seen... This one was a completely original. Oh, was it? The Landis, okay. The Landis one is not. The other ones are, but... Okay. I th- I think, My mistake. I think the Spielberg one is, too. Obviously, the good segment is based yeah. on right. The, the last yeah. two are obvious. We've all seen those. Yeah. I was um, just going to say, has anybody seen the original of the Time Out? But if there wasn't one, then I guess now I know why I've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, I was, Landis thinks he's better than everyone and has to tell his own. I was, La- uh, Landis just wants a, an excuse to be able to write the N-word. Probably. <laughs> well... I, I, if you want to try and defend it, I mean, I hope you don't. That's all. I want to want to respect you for many, many, many reasons. It's impossible to defend timeout. I mean, if you, uh, how do you? I mean, it let's gets, not talk about this. Let's talk about a made-up thing that happened twenty years ago, and now it's you know where you would normally say, "Oh, that was just the time. That was just the time," but like. What is said and what is no, that's presented? That's the time now. What? <laughs> he could be wearing a MAGA hat and carrying a tiki torch, and it would be the same fucking thing. What? Yep. What is given to me on screen? The words that are said to me by these actors. This, it's like, how? How is it okay? How can you do that? I can see, like, it's and call it art. That's the. Uh, that's the fucking I man. don't think it's. I don't think there's never a time when. You couldn't do it if you were trying to make a point. Like, for example, the bit in Django Unchained where all the KKK guys are made a fool of. Like, that's fucking funny, but it has a point. But because of the way 
the production on this segment went, they couldn't make the point. So they should have just cut the whole fucking thing. Yeah, that's that's my takeaway watching it this time is like they should have just cut it all out. There's no there's the the ending is so slapdash and you know and plus it everybody knew what happened like it's going to hurt the movie. I was shocked listening to that trailer that John Landis's name was brought up first. Yeah. Like holy crap. Well, he kind of helmed this whole thing. Like I get that, but doing the, it's so not I'm good sure, advertising, though. Is what no, it's not, but what I'm saying is since he was kind of in charge of getting this off the ground, I'm guessing he had a say in that because yeah, he's an egotistical cockbag <laughs> and has to have his name all over it, I'm sure. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and then, then, you, then it spirals into baits of art versus artist. And separating, you know, can can he do one cool thing and one awful thing, and you still like the good thing? I mean, do you, as someone who listens to a lot of Norwegian black metal, I've gotten pretty good at separating the art from the artist. Uh-huh. Um, so I still love American Werewolf. I still really like Innocent Blood. I still enjoy Animal House. I hope John Landis dies in a fire. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that he, like, continued to have a pretty damn successful career after this is just wild. Yeah. And it gets worse the more you dig into it. Like, it's not just, oh, they fucked up a stunt and some people died and he plays the victim at it. Like, there were layers to this shit. Like, the kids that got killed were there illegally because yep. he yep. was dodging child labor laws. Like, it's just... Not we should okay. dig ourselves out of this pit because everyone knows yeah. this story, and this so, is can we move really unpleasant. Yeah, so yeah. the Scatman Crothers one's great. I like Scatman. He's awesome. and it's I like <laughs> Scatman, but, man, this did not feel like... Uh, and, and it's probably the best directed, but it does not feel like uh, Twilight Zone to not me. Not in any way. It feels like a kids, it's, goddamn like it, kids movie. It felt very 80 Steven Spielberg to me. I'll say yeah, that. exactly. Uh, yeah, like Hook. It felt so like, literally felt like I was watching fucking Hook. So disjointed as fuck in the whole of this movie. W H O L E. And then the third segment. Jesus Christ, guys. I oh, did, careful. I yeah. didn't. I didn't know how fucking in love with young Kathleen Quinlan I was. Oh, okay. Jesus. I wait. What don't I know? I I thought you were gonna totally bash on it, and you probably still will. And I was just saying, be careful because this is my favorite one. But I'll get oh. to it. Oh, oh, gotcha. Sorry, Mike. Yeah, I'll it's let okay. Brian do it. It's um, okay. <laughs> but goddamn, Kathleen Quinlan is like smoking. I mean, sorry. But yeah, she was amazing. I just. I thought she was awesome and uh, the story. Yep. And then, um, yeah, the last segment's the best. Uh, John Lithgow's awesome, but I almost, I also kind of didn't like this one too this time around because of, I, I hated the way they shot it with uh, the stretchy film. I thought it looked horrible, mm. uh, that style. Um, and then it was just. It's, it's a tough call because if if you had all that footage of John Lithgow freaking out, you'd want to use <laughs> you want to use too. every second of it, absolutely. But if you take the segment on its own as a short film, you'd be like, "Fucking come on!" 
do something. Let something happen here. But otherwise, it was fine. And, and the gremlin, though, the gremlin, the on gremlin the stuff wing was all fucking awesome. awesome. I love the look of that gremlin. Way better than whatever. Like, because um, they did it right. The, the they did the one snowman the sh- from well, the, the one in the Shatter show one. is really bad. Yeah. I mean, I hated the up close stuff, but all the out on the wing stuff is very is cool, perfect creepy. because they don't sh- hardly give you anything. And that's why it's magical and it works perfectly. Although, I'm sorry, I still like the close up, especially when he waves his finger at John Lithgow. <laughs> I thought that was stupid. Awesome. I don't, I don't tell, care. they'll never believe you. No, I, I yeah. think the creature design is really cool. I love its like weird mane of dreadlocks. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I'll never watch any of these three again. Anyway, what'd you guys think? <laughs> I feel like this is one like I was again where I was like I've certainly seen this yeah. and but I didn't recall a lot of it. I, yeah. I mean the Lithgow one was so familiar not just because I know the story but I feel like I've seen just that segment. But I've then watching the Spielberg one I I just maybe I my brain was just like erased the Landis one for good reason. <laughs> um but yeah. it it's just so disjointed like the stories are so different they don't it feels like three different completely you know there's just no cohesion and coming from one of the most classic tv series of all time uh is a tough thing to adapt um but it just yeah outside of i don't know i I didn't love it and it's disjointedness is what i think makes this movie fail as a movie yeah personally Bri, Bri. Yeah, so I had this weird... I haven't seen this in a really long time, and I wasn't looking forward to rewatching it because I only remember liking, like, half of it in the first place. And it turns out I like less than half of it. <laughs> Damn, my math. Uh, <clears throat> I had this weird Mandela effect thing of feeling like I remembered seeing some scenes of Vic Morrow carrying a kid through that rice paddy. Me too! And then the, it had, like, gotten cut out. But so I was trying to look that, thinking, like, oh, what the fuck, Roku channel? You edited yep. your... No, it was never, ever included. Huh. Like, there weren't even production stills released for obvious reasons. So <laughs> I you guess it's just it one of those things I do. where... I totally remembered it, it too. Because it's such a... <clears throat> legend in Hollywood history and you've heard that story so many times that like you start to conflate things in your head but yeah it, it apparently was never there uh, the Spielberg segment were at half that length that might have been kind of charming in a 80s Spielberg kind of way but I don't really like that particular type of schmaltz anyway but it just feels like it kind of goes on forever and <clears throat> talking about racism, <laughs> it's sort of that weird reverse, almost complimentary kind, but this is one of the most egregious examples of the trope of the magical Negro in film history. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it is literally a magical Negro who goes from place to place making old people young. It's And again... <clears throat> the actors all sell it. Scatman Crothers sure. is great. You said his voice sounded like a Transformer. What Transformer did he voice? He's jazz. Oh, fucking duh. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I should have. Um, the Dante segment is... 
feels even more dragged out than the Spielberg one, honestly. <laughs> and the ending is just nonsense. Like, if we had gotten one scene of Helen complaining about getting shuffled around as a teacher, not no one taking her seriously, not having enough power over her own life, or having any agency, some reason why she'd suddenly do a villain turn at the end and want Anthony to teach her how to use his power... That would have been better, but that comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Like I thought I Dante was, yeah, I was Dante was so focused on making a cartoon that he forgot to tell a story. Like he was just so in love with being able to do all like showing all these clips of old cartoons and making this weird stuff and oh Dick Miller, which fuck yeah, Dick Miller, and Kevin McCarthy, who yeah, yeah. fuck yeah, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. But and the scary rabbit is kind of cool. Is that three-minute Tasmanian Devil? Oh How my god, it's go? fucking excruciating! <laughs> uh, I had what? forgotten For about that completely, Don't. and it just goes on and on and on, and then it pops out of the whirl, out of the little uh, tornado, and then it does another form where its feet are up in the air and its eyes are bugging out, and isn't that hilarious? <laughs> no, Joe Dante, it's fucking not. Jesus, God. <laughs> Guys, that's my favorite segment. Be nice. I know. <laughs> the wraparound stuff with Dan Aykroyd is pretty neat. Bookends. I like how it ties in and how it actually... Sh- bookends, yes. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Wraparounds <laughs> go on one end and on the other. They wrap around. They don't go in the middle. Oh, okay. Where it's wise it, around. That's, that's an interstitial segment. That's not the same oh, thing. Yep, you're right. You're right. Anyway... Like, do you want to see something really scary? And I love how when they're doing the theme song humming thing, and there's like, oh, you remember that one with Burgess Meredith? And then he narrates the story. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of neat. But Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, oh my God. If anything, I liked it even better this time. Like, nice. Miller's direction, Lithgow's acting, it's yeah. just so sweaty and tense and claustrophobic <laughs> and... The monster is awesome. The practical effects of the, the you know the miniature work on the exterior of the airplane is awesome. Mm-hmm. I wish it weren't fifteen good minutes of an almost two hour long movie. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that one end again? I forgot. It he grabs the the air marshal's gun and shoots out the window, and it sucks him out the window, and then the creature like grabs him by the face and then decides like, no, I'm going to let you live just to fuck with you and then flies off into the night. And, and they then land the plane and lands. Do an emergency landing and John Lithgow yeah. is carried off in an ambulance. Right. Okay. With Dan Aykroyd driving the ambulance saying, you want to see yeah. something really scary? Ooh. Yeah, an attempt like, at a uh, sort of tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I thought worked. I thought that was fun. Yeah, yeah. And... The whole thing feels like a bunch of friends got together to pay yeah, homage yeah. to their favorite TV show, which it is. Yeah. But it, it feels, for the most part, way too self-indulgent. Like Dante and Spielberg and especially Landis just giving in to all of their worst habits of filmmaking and storytelling with no one there to tell them, no, you stop that right now, <laughs> young man, or you'll go to bed with no supper. That's pretty good. Like, somebody needed to... Uh, yeah. George Miller felt like he was the only one who showed up to make a good movie instead of just splattering his id all over the 
thing, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's a swing and a miss, that's what. See, here's the thing, guys. Everything you guys are saying is not wrong. I can't disagree with anything you're saying. Uh, I This is probably more nostalgia for me than anything else. Sure. A, f- a couple of bonus episodes ago, we talked about first horror movies we ever watched, and I forgot this is probably one of them. Mm-hmm. This is from that that world of spending the weekend at my sister's and my brother-in-law watching this when I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And all the bad things you guys are saying back then for me worked in yeah, droves. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because, well, talk about... So, I like It's a Good Life for all the reasons that, from the sounds of it, Brian doesn't like it. Because uh, I love that side of Joe Dante. And I never really felt like... I mean, he's always dabbled in that. You know, even Gremlins uh, still has, like, cartoons, cartoony sound effects going on and stuff. And... This is like him really showing off his cartoon influences in droves. But as a child, all of that, like the fun colors, the 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 weird shapes of stuff in the house, and has and how the house throughout the bit get turns more and more into a demented cartoon. And then you got the rabbit, and you got the you know demonic Tasmanian devil looking thing, um, and the sister whose mouth was taken away, that shit terrified me as a child. And it was only enhanced to scare me even more by the fact that Kick the Can preceded it, giving me a false sense of, like, oh, this is light and fluffy, fun, Steven Spielberg Amblin shit, which I was really into as a child. I bought into all of that um, stuff that he was doing. And so Kick the Can was like, oh, this is cute. And then, bam Sister has no mouth. I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. So that's why It's a Good Life is probably one of my favorites. And also, it's probably one of my favorites of the original um, show as well. And, and of course, as a Joe Dante fan, I still really love it because it's, you know, you know just Joe, John, Joe Dante jizzing all over the set. Uh, you know, even you know, bringing in Dick Miller and Kevin McCarthy. And fun fact, gonna steal this also trivia from Tad. Uh, Bill Moomy, who played the child in the original uh, in the original episode for this, is in the restaurant in the beginning of this one. Um, okay, so you yeah. didn't didn't steal anything from me because uh, sorting through all the other Early shit. Landless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did not find that one, but. I do agree with Brian, especially as an adult now. Um, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet is the strongest one, and even back then, I thought like it was just creepy and scary as hell for me. Um, and but you know, and uh, but now as an adult who appreciates the performance of John Lithgow in anything, literally anything, uh, and and the direction of George Miller, and I agree, it really felt like George was was trying to make a uh, Twilight Zone product instead of Steven Spielberg and John Landis and Joe Dante just, uh, you know, putting all their favorite things into their segments. Um, so it, so it's probably still, you know, again, just a lot of nostalgia for me more than anything else. But, uh, yeah, 
it doesn't hold up, obviously, as well, especially with Landis's segment, which I didn't really feel like I had an opinion about it back then, but definitely have a much negative, more negative opinion about it now. And forgetting all of that, just, again, it feels out of place. It just feels really out of place compared to the other three. And you guys are saying they're kind of all out of place with each other, but I feel like the rest of them kind of really fall into place, especially in my small child mind uh-huh. of, oh, kick the can is, is cute and, and fun and, you know, and um, heartwarming and all of that. And then you just kind of go into chaos from there, which was rather jolting for me as a child. So, yeah, definitely doesn't hold up as well, but I still like, I still like a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tad, what trivia do you have for this one? William Shatner at one point was con- in consideration to reprise his lead role in the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet segment. He had to turn it down due to prior commitments, and ultimately John Lithgow was cast in the role. Years later, Lithgow would star in Third Rock from the Sun as alien Dick Solomon sent to Earth to observe human behavior with three others. Their boss, the big giant head, was never seen until William Shatner guest starred in the role. When he first appears, Solomon asks him how his trip was, and Shatner answers, It was a horrible flight. There was a man on the wing of the plane. Solomon (laughs) replies, The same thing happened to me. (laughs) That's awesome. So a fun reference to this. Um, Segment one, Time Out, is the only original segment in the film. The rest of the segments are remakes of episodes from The Twilight Zone. Time Out is, however, loosely based on one of the classic episodes, 1961's A Quality of Mercy, about a World War II army man switching sides during the war. And then uh, the original conception of the film's ending was that after the segments had been completed, each character would intersect with one another. This idea was mainly scrapped, but it briefly appears as an epilogue as Dan Aykroyd's character from the prologue appears at the end of Nightmare at 20,000 Feet segment and comforts John Lithgow's character from the segment by playing The Midnight Special by Credence Clearwater Revival, which is also used in a prologue of the film. Um, And then the final bit is the music for segment two, Kick the Can, was originally written as the theme for Norman Bates and Psycho 2. Oh, okay. Interesting. (laughs) All right. Thank you again, Tad, for some wonderful trivia. And that is it, folks, for the films we're going to talk about for this topic. Uh, What movies based on TV shows do you guys like? Well, we're going to find out after the break. Uh, But first, you're going to hear a promo for our podcast network called the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. The PFPN is home to so many great shows like Geeking Poetic. Geeking Poetic is a show dedicated to discussing all things geeky, movies, TV, music, comics, toys, and more. And you can check out Geeking Poetic and all the other amazing shows at thepfpn.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www 
thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the show, and now it is time to hear from you guys. Here's Jason with shoutouts. It's time for shoutouts! All right, we asked, what are your favorite horror movies based on TV shows? And up first, we got Attacker Hot Rod Hutchinson. He must have figured out the question. He says, <laughs> I would have to say the Ghostbuster movies. The Ghostbuster movies. There's a space uh, in there. There's oh, yeah, only I, one Ghostbuster. I, I remember him uh, Yeah, joking about that on the Would chat. be based off... Of the Ghostbuster cartoon from 1975. It was a couple detectives and their gorilla investigating the paranormal. See, he's joking there around. There was a live action show before there, that. I was going to say, yeah, there was a live action show before that. Some of us, that. some of the obvious ones would be The Twilight Zone, Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, and Bordello of Blood. Nick Leadham chimes in. He says, I don't think Ghostbusters is related to Ghostbusters. <laughs> Tales from the Dark Side is great, though. you dang right, Nick. And then Rod's back in. He says, they probably won't admit it, but how couldn't it have an influence? It had both a live action and cartoon series about investigators who basically hunt ghosts. Aykroyd and Ramis... Claimed to not have known about the show when writing the script, but Columbia certainly wanted to use the title so much that they paid for it. So, so the live action show, that was in the 70s, and that was, um, I forget the guy's names, Larry Stork and the other guy, the guys from Forrest Tucker. Forrest Tucker. And then a guy in a gorilla suit. And then when the movie came out, Ghostbusters, um, they, I think that's when they came out with the cartoon, or at least that's when I saw it, was around that time. So when they turned Ghostbusters, the movie, into the cartoon, they had to call it the real Ghostbusters because of the Ghostbusters cartoon. Yeah. Roger's saying that's his conspiracy. He stays up too late thinking up weird <laughs> shit. Is that part of the same conspiracy as the guy who does Garfield's voice, does the voice of Ray in the cartoon? But Bill Murray is Ray in the movies, but then does the voice of Garfield in the movies. All right, you're hurting my head. Up next, we got Jacob McLaughlin says, Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me is my gold standard movie to come from a TV series. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all right. <laughs> you've, seen, you've seen Firewalk With Me? I have. Actually, I saw that, I think, before I watched the show. Sorry, forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't... No, it's fine. It's a prequel. Fine. It's a prequel anyway, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, I have seen it. Uh, he also says, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, is the only TFTC thing that I have ever seen, and it rules. It does. That's the only thing, though. It's the only check Tales out. from the Crypt. Dude, come on. Yeah. Jacob. Check, check out some more. The OG movie is really good, yeah. and the series is okay, too. Yep. Up next, we got Tim Lenerer. He says, In the Loop. Is a horror comedy about a 
the run-up of the Iraq war and how one random politician in the UK saying something off the top of his head made it inevitable that a million people were doomed to die in Bush's folly. In the loop. He also says, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, motherfucking rules. He says, The 1991 Adams Family is not just a great entry-level horror comedy for kids. It inspired a pinball table that has yet to be equaled in the last 33 years. Truth. <laughs> and then Have you la- played that table? It's really awesome. Yeah? Oh, I'm going to look it up later. And lastly, he says, The Quatermass Conclusion was a film... Mm. Cut down from the four-episode ITV series Quatermass in 1979. It, too, motherfucking rules. I know Brian thinks so. He talks about that all the time. There's really not a bad Quatermass thing that I can think of. (laughs) All of it's really good. See? Told you. And then lastly, we got the Reebster. Mike Reeb, he says, there's probably at least ten episodes of The Twilight Zone that inspired movies. Of those, I pick Poltergeist, which is a great deal based on the episode Little Girl Lost. Oh. I didn't know that. That's cool. All right. And, uh, oh, we got the little machines beeping at me. Let's let's hear what's on there. Hey, everybody. Attacker Brian here from my biweekly phone call. And it sounds like the podcast crew is talking TV shows that were made into movies. And there's just not a lot for the horror community, TV show-wise, that's on network TV. It just doesn't fit in well. It can be made into movies. Unless you're a kid, then you get Casper, you get Scooby-Doo, you get Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Maybe not for kids, but it is a great Batman movie. One of my favorites growing up, The X-Files. So, like, that was a great gateway horror for me. Brought me into loving horror movies. And then if you like foreign stuff, and I'm not sure how this one works because I'm not versed in this like Brian Clark, but <laughs> Common Rider, I think is how you oh, say it, had a bunch yeah. of shows and several <laughs> movies. So again, unless you're a kid, there's not a lot in the horror community. And if you're a kid, one thing that's not for you is Bill's comedy. So I think Bill, you know, Attacker Bill, he should call and answer next episode's question. <laughs> I'm calling people out. I think Rod may have called this episode. Let's hope he did, because if not, I'll call him out again next week, next week, or next in two weeks. Hope you guys have a good weekend and take care. Bye bye. Thank you, Godzilla. Fucking common writer, but that newest one, Shin Common Writer, sucks. Does it? Ass. I almost thought oh, about it, but bad. Okay, thank God. Oh my God, guys. Guess what? 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 The machine's still beeping. What? Yeah. There's another voicemail. Hold oh. on a second. Hello? Cheesecake Factory? You got my strawberry swirl cheesecake? <laughs> Anybody there? <laughs> Shit. Bill gave me the wrong number again. It's supposed to be Attack of the Killer podcast. Attacker Rod here. First time caller. Long time listener. Um, sorry about the comment. <laughs> For this episode, but some asshole called me out, <laughs> Mr. Godzilla. So instead of talking about the topic, let's talk about Valentine's Day horror, because I'm calling on Valentine's Day by myself. 
And there's four <laughs> movies that I think of when I think of Valentine's Day Horror. Um, the 1981 My Bloody Valentine unrated cut. The 2001 Valentine. The 2009 My Bloody Valentine 3D. And the 2023 fan film Valentine Bluffs. My personal favorite is the 1981 unrated My Bloody Valentine. What is yours? And in closing, a little PSA for all the singles out there on this holiday. Much like the rates of Uber drivers going up on the holidays, so too do the rates of hookers. Until next time, have a wonderful Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, and you know, this my... episode's coming out like three weeks after Valentine's Day, right? Guys, <laughs> you just heard a preview of the new God Rod podcast. Told you not to give him. Oh shoot! Okay, just kidding. Hey, thanks, Hot Rod. Oh my gosh, two voicemails, and then we're gonna get to hear from Bill next time, right, Bill? <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much. You, anyone, can leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it on the show. Easy, just give us a call. Use that phone that's in your pocket, and dial four one five nine five two six eight five seven. It's also known as 415-95-AOTKP. Leave us that voicemail, and we will play it on the show. That is Yeah, Bill, call in and tell us your favorite Arbor Day movies. Yes, <laughs> and call someone else out while you're at it. That is shout-outs. Coming up at 6 is your local news, followed by World News with Dan Rather at 6.30. Then it's the world television premiere of Guru the Mad Monk at 7 p.m., <laughs> followed by Barbara Walters interviewing outsider artist and filmmaker Andy Milligan on 60 Minutes. But up next, the gang learns an important lesson about stranger danger on an after-school special edition of Insane's Picks that starts right now on News Channel 3 AOTKP. <laughs> As always, that's an awesome intro. Uh, I want to do a quick correction um, before I get a bunch of hate mail. Um, I said in the, my little rant about Garfield and Ghostbusters um, that Bill Murray played Ray. It's Peter. Right. I said the wrong. We were all confused. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fake fan. That's right. <laughs> okay, so for this Insane's Picks, I'm going to go back to Argentina. We're also going to go back to the Plague of Zombies franchise with the sequel, yes. Plague of Zombie Zona Mutant from 2001, written and directed by Pablo Perez and Hern- Hernan um, Saz, I hope I say that right, I doubt it, uh, who also star in their film, star in the film with their friend Berta Muniz. It is a direct sequel to the first Plague of Zombie, taking place right after the first film, even though it was like made four years apart. Three friends, Bill, Max, and pro wrestler John West, survive the zombie outbreak caused by an alien virus and are intercepted by the authorities, then thrown straight back into the now-quarantined town. The trio of friends... Uh, fend off an army of zombies while trying to figure out a way to escape their predicament. That's pretty much it. That's uh, basically you know, the, the whole plot for all of these films. Um, 
you know, it's what you get. Luckily, that's exactly what I want, is more of the action-packed, laugh-a-minute, gore-soaked chaos of the first movie. The movie is filled with scene after scene of the three heroes fighting off large groups of the undead with so many great gore gags uh, pulled off with a zero budget. One of my favorite gags is when Max tries ripping an arm off of a zombie, but he can't quite get it ripped off, so he ends up like twisting it and twisting it and twisting it until the arm comes off. And then he goes to hit the zombie in the face when he realizes that he can manipulate the fingers of the arm by playing with the veins and exposed tendons like a puppet. Then he proceeds (laughs) to take that arm and do a series of three stooges eye gouges and slaps in the face with... Uh, in the zombie's face. That's what you would do. That's totally. <laughs> oh, it's so hilarious. Anyway, I'm telling you guys, these films are so much fun. They're really funny. Um, they're inventive, and most importantly, never boring. Sure, the budget is extremely low on these films, um, but what they lack in money, they totally make up for passion and creativity. So do yourself a favor, check out Plague of Zombie and its sequel, Plague of Zombie, Zone of Mutant. And yes, I say that knowing that the third one is going to be coming to Insane's Picks as well. And a definitely special thanks to Brian Clark for finally getting me to come around and watching these movies. I love them so much. I had a feeling so he had something much. to do with this. Yeah. I need to get to the <laughs> sequels because I... Again, Midnight Pulp, I started watching the first one. I've known about him for a long time, thanks to the No Budget Nightmares podcast. Way yeah, back same in the day. here. But, yeah. mm-hmm. but uh, I finally pulled the trigger and sat down and watched it, and like 10 minutes into the first movie, I texted you like, oh my God, dude, this movie is, <laughs> yep. you have to watch this. It's so good. It's totally yep. a Mike movie. And it was because of that I pulled the trigger too. I mean, same thing. I've heard about him for No Budget Nightmares, I think, the same thing. It was when I first heard of these films. Yeah, there's three of them and an American remake that it looks like the guys are involved. I'm not really sure, um, but I, I plan on watching that one, too. They're, oh, they're just so much fun, guys. I mean, <laughs> we just need to do an episode on these. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, that is it for this episode, though. I want to thank everybody for listening. It's been a fun, fun, you know, Jason just so loved all three of these so, so much. So guys. I'm having a blast. <laughs> I was going to say, Jason's just like, dear God, can we get to an episode where I like something? One. It's two in a row now. That it might is. take a while. We'll see what happens with uh, the next one. We'll find out in two weeks. That's right. Stay tuned. So check us out everywhere on TikTok, Instagram, X, Threads, our YouTube channel, where you can check out the classic episodes of Recasting with Christian Slater. And also check out jointheattackers.com. Get signed up. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys in two weeks on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh no, could this be the end of? Attack of the Killer Podcast.